Happy Sabbath, church family. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for a wonderful two weeks. We have been extremely blessed. How many people have been blessed by restoration? Amen. Amen. I think I'm the most blessed, so, because I get to meet so many wonderful people, learn so much about Loma Linda, and uh, just really connect and find out what God is up to. You know, it's very interesting. Restoration has been going on for several years. And I remember just a couple years ago when Jonathan Zirkel was trying to talk to me about this, I really had no idea what restoration was all about. But now, being able to participate in it, I have just been blessed. And I'm excited about going home and sharing some of the things and the experiences I've had with people and uh, just my time here. You know, um, when it comes to restoration, these ministries, obviously, you've heard a plug earlier for supporting these kinds of things. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Anytime we give to the cause of God, we really aren't giving. Amen? I mean, we're just giving back what already belongs to Him, and even then He pays us back. Right? I had a very interesting experience just about a little less than a year ago, and God was trying to teach me a lesson about selfishness. Right? And so I was uh, driving with one of my friends. He was driving one of my other cars. It was this old Tercel that I had, and my, I was driving my truck. And while we were driving, all of a sudden he gets pill, pulled over by the police department. They pull him over, and I'm there in front. And I've learned you don't get out of the car and start walking towards the cops. And so what happens is, is I'm waiting, and uh, while the police are talking to him, and then they come talk to me, and they said, you know, he's been driving with an expired license. And he says, you know, uh, we can find him and we can take the car away. But we're going to let you off this time. And I said, praise the Lord. Thank you so much. But what's really interesting was, I told my friend, I said, we need to go to the DMV. We need to get this whole thing taken care of. We went there the next day, found out there was all these bills and tickets that were unpaid. And it was going to require some money. And as we went to the DMV and, you know, I was talking to him about these things, I was getting very frustrated because he didn't have any money. And that implied that I was, was going to have to help him. Anyway, so I'm there and I start getting this impression, pay the first payment, $250. And back in my mind, I'm like, I'm not going to pay $250. This isn't my problem. What was so interesting, I kept feeling this, this impression and it started turning into an anxiety. When you resist the impressions of God, it starts turning into an anxiety. Amen? And it started turning into an anxiety as the hours continued to go by and, you know, we were trying to get this whole thing solved. And finally, I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I don't have too much money, but I'm willing to do this. Okay? We went to the DMV, back to the DMV, same day. Put that $250 down. And as I was leaving, I was just mumbling to myself and mumbling to God. I went back into my office. No joke, this is exactly how it went. Walked back into my office, opened up the door, and there was an envelope full of cash, $251. The Lord paid me back with interest. No one else knew about this. And I just recognized, man, you can't really... You know, you're not really sacrificing for God. We're just giving back to God what already belongs to Him, and then He gives us even more for that. Amen? And so when we're thinking about giving and we're thinking about ministries, God wants us to understand that 
This is His work. He doesn't need our money. But as we're giving, He is teaching us valuable lessons that will ultimately be for our greater benefit in the end. Amen? Amen. Why don't we start with the word of prayer? Let's ask God to bless us in a special way. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for a beautiful, refreshing Sabbath morning. Lord, whether or not we got good sleep last night or even a good breakfast, we thank you that when we come into your presence, we are rejuvenated by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray that every person would know you are speaking to them personally. And may we leave invigorated, refreshed, and empowered to meet the challenges and the demands of this world. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit, the greatest of all teachers and preachers. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you a true story. You know, one day when I was, uh, I was living in some apartments and uh, in Modesto where I started pastoring, God was really waking me up really early in the morning to commune with Him, to hear His voice. And it was such a, a special experience that was taking place. And uh, I read this powerful verse in Isaiah 65, verse 24, and it says, Before you call, I, I will answer, and while you're still speaking, I will what? Hear. And I thought, wow, that's just an amazing verse to read. And I was trying to understand, God, what are you speaking to me about? What are you saying to my heart personally? And the time was about 4.30 a.m., and I thought, oh, wouldn't this be really nice if I texted all my friends with this Bible verse this early in the morning? And so that's what I did. And uh, the Bible says, he who wakes up his friend with a loud voice, it shall be a curse against him. But I thought to myself, well, I'm sending a text message. It's their fault for leaving their phone on. <laughs> so what happens is, I sent those text, that text message out to all my friends. I thought this would be really great. However, I, I failed to realize I actually sent it to another person who I was uh, one of my friends, but he wasn't somebody who wasn't close to God anymore. He was an atheist, somebody I went to school with. And last time I talked to him, there was a slew of curse words that came out of his mouth about religion. And then when I sent it to him, I was like, uh-oh. And I was just staring at my phone for a few minutes, waiting for this, you know, these, the, these words coming back at me. And I was staring at it, and my heart was beating, because I knew he wasn't going to let this go. And then all of a sudden, the text message came on, and it said, thank you, brother. And it was from my friend. And I thought to myself, what in the world's going on? So I said to him, I said, why are you saying that? <laughs> Come on now. Like you witness better than me on this, right? We're all the same, right? It's all about a great fumble trying to understand what God's up to at the moment. But what happens is he told me this. He said he had a very uh, scary nightmare. And in this nightmare, there was this gross darkness. And he felt this extreme loneliness. And he came out of that dream and he said, God, if you're there, please show yourself. And all of a sudden his phone came on and it said, before you call, I will answer. Amen. And while you're still speaking, I will hear. And he texted me right after that and he said, there is a God. Amen. God is alive and he's up to powerful things in our world today. And if our hearts and minds are open, we will see what God is up to and what He is calling us to be a part of. You know, last night we talked about very interesting things. We talked about the Protestant Reformation and how the Reformation is not over, right? 
We talked about other things throughout the last two weeks. We talked about the great controversy, the meta-narrative. We talked about suffering. We talked about the gospel. We talked about God's purpose for our lives. We talked about ministry. We talked about all sorts of things. But ladies and gentlemen, information without application becomes constipation. <laughs> Amen? I mean, if all it is is just good information, it's just sticking in our minds and our hearts, and we'll say, wow, this is really good information, and we're doing nothing to share it, we're in big trouble. And oftentimes, our religion that is meant to be a blessing can become the greatest curse on earth. And those aren't my words. They come from inspired counsel. God is calling us to, to share the information that we are, are learning. And as we share, the most wonderful thing is we'll grow and our experience will become even more powerful. You know, I'm just like you. There's no special gifts that I possess. I grew up in a, an ordinary household down in Southern California. It was Indian, but it was ordinary. And, uh, you know, I grew up experiencing many of the things young Americans do as well down in Orange County. But God began to my work in my life in a very, very special way. And I want to share a little bit about some of the things that took place. And I believe that this is going to be beneficial to every single person here, regardless of your worldview, regardless of your perspective, regardless of your experience with God or your lack of. God is calling us like never before to pay attention to what is happening in our world today. You know, when I first became a Christian, I was really excited about end time events constantly searching the news, constantly studying the Bible about prophecy. And God was showing me some wonderful things. However, I came across a verse one day that startled me. I didn't know what to do with it. It surprised me. Everybody take your Bible. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Matthew is the first book of the what? New Testament, right? Matthew chapter 24. Alright, if you're there, go ahead and say amen. amen. When you read Matthew 24, it's a grocery list of end time events. The disciples asked Jesus, wait a minute, how is the world going to end? What is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Essentially three different kinds of questions, but all culminating with the same kind of thought simultaneously. And so they're asking this question, and Jesus, what he does next, he begins to give this litany of end-time events. And he gets into probably what I believe is the most crucial part about these signs, about these, these things that are going to take place right before he shows up. Take a good look, and let's go all the way to Matthew 24, starting with verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated for mine. Then, you, then they will Let me read this. I'm just... <laughs> okay, here we go. I preach for two weeks, okay? It's hard. Okay. <laughs> then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many shall be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the what? Love of many will grow cold. Now watch what it says next. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now watch verse 14 because it's key. And this what? Gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end shall come. 
If you notice what Jesus starts off with, he basically says in Matthew 24, hey, pay attention, there's going to be massive deception. And then the next thing he says is, there's going to be worldwide calamities. And then the next thing he says, the church is going to give you trouble. And then he ultimately ends this passage by saying, he who endures to the end, he shall be saved. And he adds this very interesting caveat, and he says, the gospel shall go to all the world as a witness, then the what? End shall come. Jesus says something very extraordinary to these disciples who were to be the founders of the early church, and that was, the gospel needs to go everywhere, to the entire world, and then the end shall come. And I thought to myself as I was reading this, this is amazing. The, the Bible says in 1 Peter that we can hasten the second coming as we are sharing the gospel, and every person that we bring to the Lord is another step closer to the second coming. Can you say amen to that? God conditions the second coming upon the work of His people. He doesn't leave it up to natural disasters. He doesn't leave it up to what the papacy is doing. He ultimately leaves the condition and the timing of the second coming to His people. The faster they get the work done, the faster the gospel goes everywhere, the faster Jesus will return. And I don't know about you, but I want this world to end suffering. I want the suffering to stop. I want the tragedies to end. I want, Jesus, uh, giving, I want Jesus to have the privilege to comfort His people. Can you say amen to that? But as I was reading this verse, I was struck one day and I was thinking to myself, wait a minute, how in the world is the gospel going to go anywhere? I have a hard time talking to my neighbor, the local person across the street. And this dilemma was presented to me because I wasn't somebody who liked to talk out loud in front of people. And so I was faced with this issue. So I decided to do something very interesting. I went to my church. I went to the potluck. I always called that the second service. <laughs> I went to the potluck and I began talking to different people. I asked various individuals who I thought... You know, these people probably have the answers here. This, I was just a brand new Christian. And so I went to one person and I said, Can you tell me how this verse is going to be fulfilled? How is the gospel going to be finished? I never forgot what she said. These were her words. When the pastors start doing what they need to do, then the work is going to be finished. And I thought to myself, okay... So this is what God is waiting for. The greatest event of all of history, when the pastors start doing their work. I thought to myself, okay, that doesn't sound like a good answer. So I went to somebody else. I said, you tell me, how is the work going to be finished? All in one potluck Sabbath right there, right? And they said to me, when our standards and the straight message starts being preached, and I thought to myself, okay, there's something a little bit wrong with that. I don't understand the context. And then somebody said something else to me and somebody else said something else. But none of those answers ever satisfied because I saw my insufficiency and I saw the ins insufficiency of everybody else. And I thought to myself, well, there are so many problems that are taking place. How in the world is the gospel going to go to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people? When you think even about the 1040 window and you have Christianity that is outlawed, proselytizing, that is illegal. How in the world is the gospel going to go everywhere? And this dilemma began to go more and more. And so I just began to pray. 
And I begin to say, Lord, help me to understand how this is going to be finished. And God began to speak in extraordinary ways. And it all started just a few years ago. I had this very unusual experience. I'd gone to India before, different times, but there was something different about this time. And so when I went to India, I took with me uh, a bunch of people. We got there, we began to preach a series. We had multiple meetings taking place, about four or five meetings a day. And it was a school that was full of Hindus and Muslims and Christians as well. And I would take all the night meetings. So I began to preach. When all of a sudden, one day after the night meeting, we came back to the president's house where we were having dinner. And he said to me all of a sudden, as he was talking to me, he was saying, hold on one second, got to take this phone call. He takes this phone call and then he says, I have to leave. And he leaves. And I thought to myself, well, that was very strange. He comes back the next day and he says, let me tell you what happened. And he told me in private, he said, after you preached, something took place in the girls' dormitory. One of the girls begin to react in a very unusual and wild way, something that was not natural. She was demon-possessed. I got the call from the women's dean, so I went over there. You know, I prayed. And then I said, okay, was the, is the problem solved? And he's like, well, it was interesting. The demon spoke through the girl right before it left, and it says he was going to return. So he just said it like that. You know, in India, I mean, they're not like Pentecostals in America. Let's dance around these people before the demon is cast out. In India, they just, okay, let's deal with it. Let's move on, right? And so what happens, he came to me and he said this. He said, you know, this is what took place. And I said, and I don't know why I said this, but I said, well, next time it happens, I want you to bring me. And so it was very interesting because two days later, after I preached, it was a very powerful message. God really blessed. The Spirit was working. We went over to his house to have dinner, and he gets this phone call, and my heart starts beating because I start thinking to myself, why did I say what I did? <laughs> and sure enough, he's like, yeah, and me and Anil will go. So he got off the phone. He's like, okay, let's go. Same problem. And I stood up, and I was around all these teenagers that I brought with me, and my heart was beating, and they're looking at me, and I'm like hyperventilating, and every scary movie that I watched when I was younger came flashing back into my mind. No joke, that's what really happened. And then I was like, God, I need courage. I want to be strong. So I opened up the Bible, and I read this verse in Mark. I just opened right up to it, and the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, even the demons are subject to us through your name. And I, God gave me faith and courage, that, and that's what I needed at that very moment. So I said, okay, let's go. And so we continued walking. It was just a really a dark pathway all the way to where the girls' dormitory was. And we got there, and all of a sudden, he gets another call. He gets a call, and I'm there, and I'm looking. And there in this giant room that was open, there was this circle of ladies that were there. And there was a young girl who was not facing me. She was facing the wall. And there was an older girl that was by her. And I was over here, and I was just thinking to myself, oh, it doesn't look too bad. I don't see any real demon possession going on there. And what was taking place in the middle was the older girl was actually having the younger girl read Psalms 23. They were speaking English. And she said, I want you to repeat after me. Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And the girl would say, the Lord is my shepherd. She says, I shall not want. And the younger girl said, I shall not. And they were going through that all of Psalms 23. And I was just watching the whole thing. I was like, well, it seems like the problem is solved. 
when all of a sudden, the older girl said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And the younger girl said, thy... And I was watching and I was like, what? And then the older girl said, say it again, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And the young girl said, thy... And all of a sudden, she fell over backwards. She started kicking everybody off. She had this strange kind of strength because they could not hold her. A 14-year-old skinny girl, she was kicking everybody off. Sounding like an old man. It was very strange, the whole thing. And all of a sudden, the president came in with me. We went over there. And this girl was just kicking everybody off, really growling. I mean, there was more. I don't want to share any more than that. But things were taking place that was not normal. And I was standing over her and I was thinking to myself, there absolutely is 100% a great controversy. I was looking right at it. I could see the struggle happening. The president and myself, we began to pray over her and all of a sudden she just, she tensed up and then just collapsed. They picked her up. They began talking to her. She seemed to be okay. We began to pray for her some more. And the president asked, where did, she, where did this thing come from? And she pointed at the window. That week, that girl got baptized. Amen? Never forgot. Even the, the baptism of uh, things that I said, I said, Lord, this girl is now your property. She belongs to you. She is no longer the power of Satan. And it was just a powerful experience that began to take place. But what's interesting is, after that event took place, I went back into my room. And all I can think of was the graphic images of everything I saw. I kept waking up my roommates in the middle of the night. He's like, yes, I'm like, I just want to know if you're awake. And so I kept doing this because all these images were in my mind. I just wanted to talk to somebody. But something was strange about the whole event. It seemed something unusual. I went back to America, went back to California where I was pastoring. And I began to really think and evaluate that experience. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. Everything seemed okay until the Psalms 23, the, the, near the end. What took place? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And as I was listening to that, I was thinking to myself, something is strange here. And I began to pray and I said, Lord, help me to understand what in the world is going on here. And God began to lead me through a marvelous journey of understanding. One of the reasons that this thing was taking place is because there was a great controversy struggle and now the Spirit of God was being invited. You know, it's very interesting. When you take a good look at the sanctuary, the most holy place, you find a picture of the Trinity. You have the Ten Commandments, the righteousness of Christ. You have the pot of manna. And then you have the Aaron's rod that budded. You see the Ten Commandments represent in a in symbolic way the Father's throne. And then the pot of manna represents Jesus. I am the bread of life. And the rod that budded, it's a representation of the Holy Spirit that gives the fruits of the Spirit. Even Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 12, when the, he says this, when the Spirit of God is upon you, the demons will be cast out. He made it very clear that the entity involved in the casting out of demons in this great controversy was none other than the Holy Spirit, who's also called the Comforter as well. And it was just a very interesting experience. And I began to think more and more about this. And God began to lead me down this train of understanding that our greatest need is the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was very remarkable. And I began to repent because God, I said to him, I've been trying to do this whole Christianity, Christianity thing without you. 
You know, I had a very interesting experience that happened one day. My car stopped working. I didn't know what was going on. And then, like many men, I'll open up the hood, stare at it, twist the battery cable, tap something with my key. I thought to myself, something's not right about the whole thing. So I called up my friend, who's a mechanic. And he said to me, he's like, well, he's like, did you check everything? You checked the oil. I said, I checked the oil. And then he says, you checked the battery cables. I said, I checked the battery cables. Then he paused for a second. He's like, well, did you see if there was gas in there? I thought, that's absolutely ridiculous. Of course I did. And I checked, you know, make sure. Anyways, I got off the phone. He's like, I'm not sure what's going on. I'm going to have to check it out. I turned on the car. And I came to the ultimate conclusion, there was no gas in the car. <laughs> and you're laughing at me. And you think, wow, how could you be so stupid, right? But you want to know what's even more ridiculous? Christians who try to be Christians without the Holy Spirit. That's more ridiculous. And this is something God was teaching me in a very strong way. That I was attempting to be a Christian. Everything God called me to be without the Spirit's aid. And sure, there was this struggling and this grappling that was taking place with God. And in His mercy, He was still blessing me. But God wanted me to realize more and more the fullness of everything He was offering through the power of the Spirit. Now what is so amazing, when you read about the Holy Spirit, you see Him present in the Old Testament, but you find Him being more defined and articulated in the New Testament. One of the reasons why God was not unfolding the, Old Test the Trinity so clearly in the Old Testament as He was in the New Testament is because the Old Testament Jews were prone to polytheism. They were prone to worshipping multiple gods. And so all they could understand, even though the Spirit was very present from Genesis chapter 1 to Psalm 51, and so on and so on, all they could understand and their capability was to understand and grapple about, grasp who God was, was simply, God is one. But as Jesus began to unfold more and more the nature of the Godhead, the community, the divine community, all of a sudden, the power of the Spirit began to be more and more manifest in the early church. And what God had been waiting to do for many generations was now being poured out in His fullness. Can you say amen to that? In fact, I'm going to show you something very interesting. Take your Bible. Let's go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Now, everyone needs to pick up a Bible here because I'm going to need everyone's participation. John chapter 16. Somebody one time asked me a question, how do you know the Holy Spirit's God? I said, well, I asked him a very interesting question. I said, in the Old Testament, did God ever command his people to build a temple to the sun? He said, no. I said, did God ever command his people to build a temple to the wind? No. I said, why is that? He says, well, because those things are active forces of God. They're not God himself. I said, very good. If the Holy Spirit is not God, Paul would have been blasphemous when he said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? If the Holy Spirit was just a mere force, Paul would have been blasphemous when he said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God never commanded the children of Israel to build any kind of shrine or entity or temple to his force or his power, but to God himself. In fact, I want you to see something very remarkable. John chapter 16. 
Jesus here is speaking, talking about the Holy Spirit, articulating more and more of His power and His nature. What is interesting, He says about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will do a very interesting work. It will testify of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm here to testify of the Father. And here you see this divine stepladder to let finite beings in some way grapple and grasp who the infinite God is. We talked about this a few nights ago. But I want you to see something very remarkable starting with verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and this is what Jesus is saying. None of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has what? Filled your heart. Now watch verse 7, because it's key. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to who? You. But if I depart, I will send him to who? You. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now let me ask you a question, ladies and gentlemen. In verse 7, what word appears there more times than any other word? Are you looking at it? <coughs> Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, then the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. What word appears there, or if you want to count it as a word, what letter appears there more than it? Okay, yeah, you got it, obviously. Okay, very good. Okay, okay. Who's I, ladies and gentlemen? Wait, what? Okay, make sure you're reading and you know it's Jesus, right? Don't let any pastor try to test you. Like I said before, many times I'll, I'll quiz my church and I'm like, who is God? And they'll say, Jesus. I'm like, are you sure? And they're like, uh, actually, actually, we're not sure right now. <laughs> no, if you know what the scripture is teaching, stand by it, Amen. So who's I in this passage? Jesus. Jesus. Amen? And notice what Jesus is saying. He is saying, I'm going to do something. What is the next word that appears there? You. You have three you's and then you have a your. We'll just count it as four you's. Okay? Now let me ask you a question here. Who's you? Who was he speaking to when he said this? The disciples, right? Notice this. And who are the disciples? You have the 12 disciples and then you have who? Are you following Christ, ladies and gentlemen? Are you a disciple of Christ? So who is he speaking to? Okay, very good. Very simple, right? So who's I, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus, right? And who's you? No, it's you, right? I'm just kidding. It's you. Yeah, you got it. Okay, so here's the thing. Don't miss this point. It's going to be a very powerful point right here. Jesus is I, right? And Jesus is saying, this is what I am going to do. He says, I am going to send the Spirit. I am going to send the Spirit. But who was he going to spend, send the Spirit to? Okay, what word is used there? You, right? Don't miss this point, okay? Jesus is I, and you is who? You, right? Very good. Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to who? You. Then watch the very next verse. John chapter 16. Take a good look at that. Let's start again with verse 7. Nevertheless, I, who's I? Jesus is telling you, who's you? You. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to who? You. And if I depart, I will send him to who? 
you. Now notice this. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, now watch what the scripture says next. And when he has come, he will convict the world. Ladies and gentlemen, who is he coming to? You. Do you realize what Jesus is saying here? He is not saying when the Holy Spirit comes upon the entire world, then the world will be convicted. He is saying when I send the Holy Spirit upon you individually, the world will be convicted. You know, we ask the question, wait a minute, how is the gospel supposed to go to the entire world? It starts with who? You or me. That's right. And this is what Jesus was trying to help the disciples understand. When the Holy Spirit is coming to you, individually, personally, the world will be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Can you say amen to that? Jesus was trying to teach this lesson that the power of the Holy Spirit, when it is unleashed in someone's life, everyone, the entire world, will be impacted by even one individual. Now you may think to yourself, oh, come on. Is that really possible? Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus left us the perfect example of following God. And you know who that is? Jesus. And do you know what Jesus said? Greater works will you do. Which is amazing when you begin to think about this. Because what Jesus is promising in a very special and extraordinary way is a kind of special fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The greatest power that God has ever unleashed upon this world. And one who will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Who will propel the gospel. Who will enlighten the angel that comes down in Revelation 18. So the entire world hears that powerful call. Come out of confusion. God has been waiting to pour out His Spirit in a powerful, extraordinary way. In fact, the word Spirit, or the word uh, Holy Spirit right here, is a very interesting word in Greek. And I've studied this word out. Parakletos, which means something interesting. It actually means one who comes up right next to you. <laughs> one who is right next to you. Now just think about this. Jesus just said, Hey, I have to go away. I'm locked in this human body. I'll be in a glorified human body. But I'm going to send the omnipresent Holy Spirit. But he gives the Holy Spirit a word and he says it's the parakletos. Which is a paradox. Because the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, but apparently, he's right next to you. In fact, when you read Psalms 39, all of Psalms 139 is, is, the, is a, the majority of the verses about how God is omnipresent. He's in everything. He's created everything. But it, what is so remarkable is this. Psalms 39, 139 ends with David saying, Lord, search my heart. Come into my heart. Because he understands the Holy Spirit will come where he is invited. And though he may be omnipresent, the place he wants to dwell the most is in the human heart. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And this is something Jesus was trying to communicate to the disciples. In fact, when you read the book of Acts, you begin to see something very remarkable. Acts 2 verse 4 describes the personal nature of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 8 verse 39, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Acts 10, the Spirit said to him, notice again, Acts 11, verse 12, the Spirit told me. Acts 11, 28, showed by the Spirit. Acts 16, verse 7, the Spirit did not prevent, permit them. Acts 11, verse 12, the Spirit told me. Acts 11, verse 28, showed by the Spirit. Acts 16, the Spirit did not permit them. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something powerful. 
the Holy Spirit is a very personal God. Amen? Amen. And Jesus even talked about the Holy Spirit and described distinctives about the Holy Spirit and who He really is. And what God is ultimately trying to teach us is before there can be a second coming of Jesus, there needs to be a second coming of the Holy Spirit. This is what God has been waiting for. To invigorate His people. To empower them to do a work that is impossible for man, can, for man to do so that the world can see there is God dwelling in their hearts and minds. We need to start praying for the Holy Spirit. And if His power is not recognized, it's because He is not appreciated as He should be. And where the Spirit is a little matter spoken of, there will be seen spiritual death and declension and darkness. In fact, let me give you an example of this. Everyone take your Bible, go to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Anybody here ever do some traveling in California and say one Sabbath morning, you're, you want to visit some relatives, but you're saying, you know what, I'm going to go to the local church. You're searching around and you find this like little church that's out in the boonies. And you get there and there's three people in the church. And all three of them are doing the song service the preaching, the children's story, the offering call, the greeting, everything. And you're wondering to yourself, wait a minute, if this is God's church, why such a lack in power? Now what you're going to see in Acts chapter 19 is something remarkable. Paul actually comes across a church that was in a similar condition. Acts chapter 19. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. amen. Start with verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. By the way, Ephesus had already had a church for five years. So he gets to Ephesus. Look what the scripture says next. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said, Well, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Verse 3, he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? They, so they said, John's baptism. Paul is here. He's going around and he finds some disciples. The Bible tells us there's only 12 disciples. He's a little bit shocked. Now he begins to do a little bit of probing. The way he begins to understand what the real problem is, is by seeing what the condition is. In his diagnosis, the reason why he even asked this question, notice this, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now just think about it. What kind of thing or situation would produce Paul asking this kind of question? I mean, it's not like we say to other Christians, unless you're Pentecostal. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? We don't normally talk like that. But in this situation, this is like Paul's first question because he is viewing a certain kind of situation. And so he asks a question that's designed to get to the root of the issue, and he says, wait a minute. Did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they're scratching their head. They're like, we never even heard there was a Holy Spirit. And then he begins to ascertain the cause, and he discovered that they did not have an experiential knowledge of what Jesus was teaching. So he begins to elaborate. Now watch what happens next. This is amazing. Verse 4, then John and... Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him who would come after him that is on Christ Jesus. Verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized or rebaptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Now watch verse 6. And Paul had laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now watch verse 7. Now the men, men were about what? Twelve in all. The Bible's trying to teach us, just like how Jesus started his church with 12 people, this number is signifying that the church was still in, in its infant stage, but it was not growing. It was not growing past the part it should have grown past. The men were only 12. He was very shocked because Ephesus was a prime area. There should have been greater fruit to this. And so as he begins to lead them into a time of the, uh, understanding the more and more about the Holy Spirit, go all the way. This is amazing. Verse 8. He went into the synagogue, spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. When some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Now watch verse 10. And this continued for how many years? Two years. Now watch the result with him and these 12 disciples, so that all who dwelt in what? Asia. Asia Minor heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both who? Jews and what? Greeks. Notice this. When the Holy Spirit starts becoming an active agent in this church, within two years, the Bible says, everyone in Asia Minor, including the Jews and the Greeks, heard about Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, when we begin to pray for the Holy Spirit individually in our own lives, in our church's lives, when we begin to pray and hold fast to those promises, we're going to see explosive kinds of growth. Can you say amen to that? These things are things that God has been waiting to do. He has patiently been waiting more and more, waiting for His people to, to really strive and understand and desire more and more of the Holy Spirit. When I begin to learn these things, I had to repent and I said, Lord, I have been attempting to do things without a greater understanding of your Holy Spirit. And so I begin to pray every single day for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. My heart began to pray for the latter rain. Ladies and gentlemen, when you're praying for the early rain also, the early rain will actually give you a desire for the latter rain. And so I begin to pray for the early rain so my desire for the latter rain would grow as well. And as this began to take place, all of a sudden, strange things started happening in my experience. Things that never happened prior to this. The power of God began to become evident in my life, in my ministry. What is even so amazing, ladies and gentlemen, is that God has a revenue that has been accumulating generation after generation after generation, after generation, prayers for the Holy Spirit. When the third angel's message shall go forth with a loud voice, the whole earth shall be lighted with His glory. The Holy Spirit will be poured out upon His people. Now watch this. The revenue of glory has been accumulating for this closing work. In other words, all those prayers have been accumulating over and over again for this closing work of the third angel's message. The prayers that had been ascending for the fulfillment of the promise. The descent of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Not one has been lost. Not one. Each prayer has been accumulating, ready to overflow and pour forth the healing flood of heavenly influence and accumulated light all over the world. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand what this means? That means you can be the recipient of generations and years of people praying for the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. People you didn't even know. 
People even during the time of the early church who were praying for the Holy Spirit. And as the Pentecostal power was coming, they were still praying for the Holy Spirit. Other individuals were praying and all these things God was storing up in the heavenly, ho- uh, heavenly storehouse waiting, waiting, waiting until there would be a generation that was ready for it. Can you imagine the amount of prayers that have gone up and God has just been waiting, ready to pour out this powerful, massive blessing. You can be a recipient of the Holy Spirit's power. God is wanting to do something that hasn't been done before. Reading councils, you'll find all sorts of things we're told that are going to take place in the future. Men, their face lighted up with God's glory. Illiterate people preaching the gospel. Others sharing powerful literature and entire world, seeing the truth of Jesus more and more. God is promising powerful things for those who are waiting. Never forgot when I begin to pray for the Holy Spirit. I begin to ask Jesus to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Strange things started to happen. Things I didn't previously experience. Never forgot I was at the Grand Canyon one day visiting some people. I was there and I was up near the edge. It's very surreal when you're looking inside the Grand Canyon. You almost have to refocus constantly and step over one place because it just the depth of the Grand Canyon is so amazing. But I was there and I was just standing there looking out and seeing all these tourists pass by when all of a sudden I looked up and I saw this man arguing with his son in Spanish. I don't know Spanish. I had no clue what they were talking about. But I felt this strange impression stay right there. So that's what I did. Stayed right there, began looking, smiling where I could, and they were talking back and forth. And the father kept looking at me the son kept looking at me. They're going back and forth. They were just arguing. It was getting very intense. And I was just like, Lord, I am so awkward right now. I need to leave. And God was like, stay right there. So I was just there looking. While they were arguing back and forth. You know, you have a six-foot-tall hairy Indian staring at you. Something's really weird about that, right? And so I was just there, and I was staring, looking. They kept arguing, kept looking at me. After several minutes of them arguing... The father shook his head. He began walking. And I was like, now's my chance. So I walked up to him. I stuck out my hand and said, hi, how you doing? He's like, hi, how you doing? I was like, yeah, I heard you guys arguing. I didn't know what they were talking about, but it sounded like they were arguing. So they were talking. And I was like, yeah, what were you guys talking about? And he's like, yeah, my son was just arguing with me about some things. And I go, what was he arguing with about, you about? And he was like, and he shook his head at his son. He was like, my son was trying to tell me the Grand Canyon was caused by a worldwide flood. <laughs> like this. And then I said, well, I believe in the exact same thing. And he's like, <laughs> he was really shocked. He was like really shocked by that. And he's like, What? And I was like, yeah, and so I began to list off several reasons for this. I began to describe not just physical reasons of why the Grand Canyon was the way it was, cultural reasons, other reasons as well. And he was like, I've never heard this before. And his son was just like nodding his head, you know. <laughs> you know, get him, you know. And so, like, and so we were just having a cordial discussion, and the man seemed to be part of the discussion. We were talking, and it was just an amazing discussion. God was really blessing And then he's like, where did you learn these things? And I said, well, if you read the Bible, it's all there in the scriptures. 
And then he's like, that's amazing. And I was like, yeah. And then he's like, what church do you go to? And I said, well, I'm actually a Seventh-day Adventist. He's like, really? I've never heard of them. I said, yeah, they follow the scriptures. In fact, they keep the seventh-day Sabbath. Go to, look for a church that goes to church on Sabbath. Saturday. I said, Spanish? Sabado? Saturday? Huh? You know, he works with all Spanish people. And so he was like, oh, that's amazing. That's just amazing. And it was so, it was so powerful. He's like, I never knew any of this stuff. No one ever showed me this. And then we actually had a group prayer. It was amazing. And then they leave. And all of a sudden, the father comes running back to me. And I'm just like, praise the Lord. This is amazing. He was running back to me. And he's like, by the way, I just want to tell you one thing. I go, what? He's like, the, the reason why we kept looking at you is because your face had this unusual shine on it. I didn't shave that day. Let me tell you something. I don't have sheen on my face. Right? And it's just like, this is a nail, Kanda. And I recognize there was some kind of signal manifestation of God's glory that was taking place there. And the whole thing was a very powerful experience. I knew God was behind it. But it wasn't, it wasn't just that. I began to pray more and more for the Holy Spirit in all my ministry. And God began to open up providences in my life. I never forgot. My family, uh, my sister got married. And a traditional Indian wedding. And uh, my sister told me, just like two days prior to the wedding, hey, we want you to say something at the, the wedding, the reception, okay? So we're dealing with like hundreds of Hindus and Muslims there, okay? And so I was like, okay. So I get there, and it, it was a very big wedding. Wedding took place multiple days, that's Indian weddings. And on the day of the reception, I began to really pray, and I said, Father, I need the Holy Spirit. I said, I'm incapable of being able to communicate to these people where they're at in their experience. I am insufficient. I need the power of the Holy Spirit, the latter rain. And what was so amazing is I began walking up there when they announced me. Some drunk guy was like during the reception. Now we're going to welcome Angie's brother and Al. And so I was like, okay, great introduction. And so I got up there. And it was so funny. Every time I go up there, my uncles are always cracking jokes. They're like, look at him. He's still not married. <laughs> They'll say these things to me as I'm walking up there, okay? So I got up there. And I'm just like, and I, you know, when I'm speaking like in a wedding, I'm not like, yeah, this is what you need to hear this way. I mean, I got up there and I was just like, you know, like fumbling and I was like reading this little napkin thing that I wrote on. And I was like, just sharing about 10, 15 minutes, okay? As soon as I was done, it was like pin drop silence. I was like, well, I've given better wedding sermons before. This one's horrible. But it was pin drop silence. And all of a sudden, as I walked up, everyone started clapping and cheering. I was really shocked and surprised by that. I went back, even my uncles were like, they came up to me afterwards, and they began to share with me things they were struggling with. These are uncles that actually gave me problems when I first became a Christian. Now they were running to me, and they're like, we want to share with you, we need your help, we need prayer. And I was like, whoa, even my sister had one of her best friends who happened to be this uh, speech and debate teacher at... Um, uh, Long Beach State was there and she said this this was the best wedding speech she has ever heard in her entire life and I'm like that was the worst wedding speech I've ever given in my entire life but I recognized something it wasn't me the power of the Holy Spirit was present ladies and gentlemen and when the power of the Holy Spirit is present more and more you're going to see the ordinary become extraordinary God has been waiting to pour out generations of prayers Powerful experiences, things that people have been lifting up to God concerning the Holy Spirit, and you can be the generation 
that becomes the recipient of all this. God is calling for His people now like never before to start yearning for the Holy Spirit. If you don't have a desire, start praying. Lord, give me a desire for the Holy Spirit. Things are happening in our world today. God is saying it's time to wake up. Watch and pray. This is the time to start getting yourself back together, back to Jesus. To open up your heart and say, Lord, what are you saying to me today? How does the Spirit want to use me? More and more, my prayer has come, has become, Lord, send the Holy Spirit. I need something more than I have right now. I need that extraordinary experience that you've been waiting to give. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what your spiritual walk has been. I don't know where you are coming from. But I know the promise is still the same. If you ask, it shall be given to you. God is offering the Spirit of God, the revenue of prayers, of glory that has been accumulating for great centuries. Time is short. This is the time that God is calling us. I'm an old-fashioned preacher. I still make altar calls because I believe that every time we come into God's house, we need to leave with a brand new decision. While this special song is being sung, I'm going to invite the, the pastor up as well, some of the elders, if they could come up as well. And during this time, and while the song is being sung, if you're somebody who is yearning and desiring for a whole new experience with God, if you're somebody who's saying, Lord, I want the Spirit of God more in my life. God will gladly give it to you. Above all the things He's been waiting to give, it is the Holy Spirit that is the greatest thing that's on his heart. Invite the pastor, if he's still here, come up to the front as well. Maybe some of the elders, if you're an elder in our church, an elder somewhere else, please come to the front. Because, ladies and gentlemen, this is a time that God is calling his people, his leaders, to pray for the church. You can come up over here, that'd be great. And if you sense God calling you to receive a new experience with God, a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you up to the front. We want to have special prayer for you. We want to pray that God would pour out His Spirit. Oftentimes, God will open up a special window of opportunity where He will pour out the Spirit of God in extraordinary ways. Don't miss what could be a vital opportunity for you, ladies and gentlemen. Don't miss what could be a crucial opportunity for you to grow and receive what God has in store. It was when Paul was willing to pray and lay his hands upon people that they began to experience like never before something powerful, something new. And God has enough of the Holy Spirit for every person here. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're an elder, please come up to the front. We need more people praying. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that the sign that takes place right before you come back is that the gospel will go to the entire world. But Lord, that is simply a sign, another sign that the Holy Spirit is present in your people. God, the reason why the gospel is going to the entire world is because the Spirit is dwelling in them. That is the real sign, Lord. Father in heaven, I just pray for every person here who is standing, whose hearts are open, 
that you would pour upon them your Holy Spirit, that you would give them the refreshing, the latter rain experience that their hearts are yearning for right now. Father, I know that it will be as real as it is reoccurring. So Lord, we pray and ask that daily we would yearn and ask for more of the Spirit of God to help us with our witness, with our weakness, with our works, that it may ultimately glorify you, Jesus. Father, I pray and ask a special blessing. And I know that Jesus right now is praying for us. And Lord, we pray that everybody here may be recipients of that intercession right at this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.